Hey friends, and thank you for joining me today. Welcome to episode 17 of the Unknown Friends Podcast's third season. I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and I'm so grateful that you're taking the time to listen to this week's book review. Currently, we are in the middle of our sixth trilogy of the season, um, science fiction author Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy, published in the 1950s. Last time I introduced Isaac Asimov and shared some things about his life and career and writing style, and I also talked a bit about the development of and inspiration for the Foundation Trilogy. So if you haven't yet listened to my last episode, I do recommend you do that before you continue with this one, because otherwise some of the things I say today will uh, lack context and won't make much sense. On the other hand, if you did listen to episode 16, then you already know that one of the fundamental concepts that Asimov created for the Foundation Trilogy is the concept of psychohistory, a science he invented that supposedly can predict human behavior on a grand scale, on a galactic scale, in fact. It cannot predict the behavior of individuals, but it can, in theory, use mathematical statistical analysis to foresee the probable development of a very large group of people, a whole civilization. So that's the premise of this Foundation Trilogy, the science of psychohistory. And at the start of book one, the psychohistorian Harry Seldon predicted that the huge galactic empire would soon crumble into chaos. So Seldon secretly established two colonies whose mission would be to preserve learning and technology and trade during that time of chaos until eventually those colonies could grow and expand into a new government for the galaxy, a new civilization, a new empire, in fact. So that is the mission And the unfolding of that plan of Harry Seldon's takes centuries. And it's that process that the Foundation Trilogy chronicles. So book one, if you remember from last episode, records a series of crises that the young Foundation, one of the two colonies, confronts over the first century and a half of its existence. At first, the people of the Foundation don't even know their true purpose, although eventually they learn it from messages Harry Seldon left behind after his death. And they also don't initially know that another colony besides theirs was established by Seldon. And even when they do learn that there is a second Foundation, they have no idea where in the galaxy it is located. That's a big mystery that isn't actually solved until book three. So throughout books one and two, Asimov focuses solely on the members of the first Foundation colony, concentrating on key moments in the Foundation's development as a civilization and a government and a trading network, eventually. Now, I said last time that book one is not very character-focused. And in fact, it almost can feel a little disjointed because there's not really any main character. 
Asimov spends a couple chapters on the first crisis in the Foundation's history and a few characters involved in that crisis, and then he will jump forward 50 years or whatever to the next crisis and the different characters involved in that one. So in book one, there aren't really any consistent characters to get attached to as a reader. Book two is a little bit different. Really, book two, which is titled Foundation and Empire, just consists of two parts. The first half of the book occurs a few decades after the end of book one, basically a generation later. By this point, the Foundation is a very strong political and economic presence in the galaxy. The Galactic Empire does actually still exist, uh, but it's only been getting weaker as the Foundation has grown bigger and stronger. But the rulers of the Empire are still confident that they could crush the Foundation if they tried. And as Book 2 opens, the Foundation has grown to the point that the Empire is starting to believe it needs to crush the Foundation before it gets too powerful to control. So one of the Empire's generals, a man named Bel Rios, declares a war on the Foundation. And the first half of Book 2 is titled The General After This Character. So Part 1 focuses on the efforts of General Bel Rios to outwit, and destroy the Foundation. But we also meet a couple of characters who are working to outwit and destroy Bel Rios. So after the conflict plays itself out, um, ending ultimately in the collapse of the last remains of the Empire, the power of the Foundation seems to be solidified unalterably. But then we get Part 2 of this book. Part two is titled The Mule, and it takes place about a century after the events of part one. By this time, the Foundation's power stretches across many planets, and any other powers in the galaxy are very small in comparison, uh, like the agricultural remnants of the Empire or various little barbarian kingdoms. However, a new threat to the Foundation arises, not in the form of a rebel kingdom or a military force, but in the form of one powerful man, whom no one seems to know by sight or by name, but who is simply called the Mule. He gathers a following over time and eventually comes in force against the Foundation, and what's astonishing is how easily he seems to defeat planet after planet. In a very short time, it actually looks like he's going to become the absolute dictator of the galaxy, and the Foundation, as it has been known, will no longer exist. So throughout the second half of this book, we actually get to know a couple of characters, members of the Foundation, pretty well, and we follow them in their resistance against the mule. The main characters in this section are a young couple named Torin and Beta, and a psychologist friend of theirs named Ebling Mies. Um, and early on, they make another friend, uh, a funny guy, a clown, basically, who goes by the name Magnifico. And Torn and Beta actually help to rescue Magnifico, who used to be a servant of the mule but escaped. 
So Torn and Beta take Magnifico under their wing, and he helps them and the psychologist Mies as the four of them all travel across the galaxy trying to thwart the mule's plans to destroy the Foundation. But, of course, no one really knows who the mule is, as far as what he looks like, where exactly he is, what he's up to, and so, of course, it's peculiarly difficult to foil an enemy that you can't even find. But that is the challenge that we trace through the rest of book two. And in the midst of all this, our Foundation member characters are trying to figure out how does all this fit in with Harry Seldon's predictions about the development and power of the Foundation? Is the mule just another crisis the Foundation must face and will inevitably overcome? Or could the mule be beyond Selden's calculations? Might Selden, in his predictions of mob behavior, might he have failed to foresee this uniquely powerful and dangerous individual who stands out from the crowd? Well, these are interesting questions to wrestle with, and we really need the events of the trilogy's third book to fill in the last pieces of Asimov's puzzle. Um, But I would like to talk just very quickly about this topic of individual versus group behavior. Essentially, Asimov's invented science of psychohistory is comparable to something in the physical sciences. For instance, a scientist studying gas molecules cannot predict the movements of an individual molecule, but using kinetic theory, he can predict the behavior of a large group of molecules. And Asimov explicitly says that he is using this same idea um, analogously in his concept of psychohistory. But his foundation stories really put psychohistory to the test. Is it really a valid analogy to compare the behavior of groups of people to the behavior of groups of molecules? Are human beings that predictable? Or do the potentialities of human souls and minds resist that kind of categorization and limitation? Might human free will and human genius create exceptions to the statistical probabilities that Harry Seldon was working with. The thing is, ultimately, this is not just math and statistics we're dealing with. Ethics becomes involved as well when you think through the implications of psychohistory. The characters in in book two of the trilogy wrestle with the question of determinism. If Harry Seldon has foreseen the whole flow of civilization for a thousand years into the future, then do individual actions really matter? If they can't shape the course of human events in any significant way, do my choices matter? Or do my choices actually shape the course of human events? But then in that case, did Selden predict my choices? And if so, how much merit is there in them if they were predictable? Do you see what I'm saying? The Foundation characters are trying to act in such a way that they will save the Foundation, first from General Belrios and later from the Mule, but the whole time they're kind of second-guessing themselves. 
afraid that they might not be acting according to Selden's predictions. If they make the hard, daring choices, are they acting unexpectedly and throwing Selden's plan off balance? Or did Selden take such hard choices into account in his plan? Ultimately, what it comes down to is that the characters still have to do what they think is right in their moment in time and their peculiar situation. And as much as they can, they have to resist being affected by these questions of whether their actions have been predetermined. But that is, of course, easier said than done. Now, one of the other topics that Asimov is considering in this trilogy is a more explicitly political one. And again, we can't really see the culmination of his thinking on this topic until book three, but I can at least introduce some of the questions at play here. The question of empire, or I guess more generally of government control and expansion, is very relevant to the Foundation Trilogy. Remember that Asimov was inspired to write the Foundation stories after rereading Edward Gibbon's History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, More on that in a moment. Obviously, Gibbon's Decline and Fall traces weaknesses of the Roman Empire. Also, remember that Asimov was writing during World War II and the Cold War, when modern states were trying to create empires, and we're using very destructive methods to push toward that goal. There's a clear sense in history and in Asimov's trilogy that an imperial mindset has problems. But that said, empires also seem to have their strengths. And I mean, if there's going to be a world superpower or a galactic superpower, you want it to be a good one, right? So maybe the good guys in a conflict should seek to create empire. Expansion, maybe not imperial expansion exactly, but expansion in some form, one could argue, was part of the American experience for a good century or two, and a celebrated part at that. Manifest destiny. So there's a lot of complicated ideas about empire, and Asimov joins this conversation with varied ideas of his own as well. Certainly, he recognizes problems that accompany imperial power, but one could argue that he's not entirely opposed to the idea of empire. In certain situations, and with certain leadership and structures in place. But that is a complex discussion, and book three of the Foundation Trilogy contributes to the discussion, so I'm not going to make any conclusions yet in this episode. But I think this is a topic worth thinking about as we study Asimov's writing. Now, quickly on the topic of Gibbon's decline and fall. I just want to point out a couple of specific echoes of the Roman Empire in the Foundation books. So broadly speaking, of course, the Foundation trilogy chronicles the slow downfall of the Galactic Empire, just as Gibbon chronicled the downfall of the Roman Empire over many centuries. 
But a few interesting parallels show up when you consider what some of the causes of downfall were in both cases. One of the things is that the empire sort of became too big, or at least because the empire was big, one of the repercussions of that was slow communication. In both the Roman Empire and Asimov's Galactic Empire, difficulty communicating quickly over large distances proved to be a serious obstacle to the maintenance of imperial power. Now, another obvious parallel is the way that small, independent powers help break down the central imperial power over time. Barbarian tribes, in the case of the Romans, or barbarian planets in Asimov's galaxy, wage war against an empire that has already grown weak from within. Um, And the barbarian forces are sort of the nail in the coffin. In both cases, they do the final work of wiping out imperial power. Now, there's also an interesting and more specific parallel in Book 2 of the Foundation Trilogy. The general of the book's first half, General Belrios, is based on a real Roman general named Belisarius. The basic outline of their stories is very similar. Both men are powerful generals in a once very great, still somewhat great, empire. And both men are successful and daring leaders. But Asimov read The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire and observed that when a general was particularly successful, that made them particularly threatening to the emperor they served. And whether they intended to seize power for themselves or not, it was certainly the emperor's fear that a strong general would try to supplant him. And so what developed in the Roman Empire was this constant tension and suspicion between an emperor and his own best generals. And many times throughout Roman history, a fearful emperor would remove his bravest and best generals from leadership, or in some cases, they overthrew him first. And we see something very like that happen with General Belrios and his emperor in the Foundation Stories. It is, in fact, what happened with Belisarius, the real Roman general who was the inspiration for Asimov's Belrios character. So, for what that's worth, I I don't know if you're the same way, but I find this kind of thing really interesting. I'm intrigued by the fact that Asimov based so much of his sci-fi content on real history. There's nothing new under the sun, right? And really... The true stories are the ones best worth telling, I think. So all that, in a very small nutshell, is the basic content of Foundation and Empire, the second book of the Foundation Trilogy. There's lots more coming in book three. More ethical and political, thematic development, new characters, and one or two very surprising plot twists. So I will call it quits for today and save the rest for next time, but I'm very much looking forward to the culmination of our discussion of the Foundation Stories in our next episode, two weeks from today. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode, and I hope you found it interesting. If you are reading the Foundation Trilogy along with me, or you've read it before, I would love to hear your thoughts on these books. 
or more generally your thoughts on Isaac Asimov's writing style and worldview. The best conversations about stories are true conversations and not just monologues. So I welcome your input. And you can share those thoughts or questions with me by messaging me on Facebook or Instagram or getting in touch on the podcast's Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash unknown friends. As always, I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and you can learn more about me and my work as a playwright by just visiting my website, kittywayneproductions.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.